time to pick up Wanderlust and read some more from this magnificent book by Rebecca Solnit, A History of Walking. And the last time I read from this book, when I was reading from chapter one, I think I got about as far as both rural and urban walking have for two centuries been prime ways of exploring the unpredictability and the incalculable, but they are now under assault on many fronts. So let's pick it up there, and in order to read this properly, I think it's necessary to go for a walk. So there is nothing like reading a book while walking. So let's go for a walk. The multiplication of technologies in the name of efficiency is actually eradicating free time by making it possible to maximize the time and place for production and minimize the unstructured travel time in between. New time-saving technologies make most workers more productive, not more free, in a world that seems to be accelerating around them. To the rhetoric of efficiency around these technologies suggests that what cannot be quantified cannot be valued. That the vast array of pleasures which fall into the category of doing nothing in particular of wool-gathering, cloud-gazing, wandering, window-shopping, are nothing but voids to be filled by something more definite, more productive, or faster-paced. Even on this headland, route going nowhere useful, this route that could only be walked for pleasure... People had trodden shortcuts between the switchbacks as though efficiency was a habit they couldn't shake. The indeterminacy of a ramble on which much may be discovered. The indeterminacy of a ramble on which much may be discovered is being replaced by the determinate shortest distance to be traversed with all possible speed, as well as by the electronic transmission that makes real travel less necessary. As a member of the self-employed, which indeed I am too, whose time saved by technology can be lavished on daydreams and meanders, I know these things have their uses and use them. A truck, a computer, a modem, myself. But I fear their false urgency, their call to speed, their insistence that travel is less important than arrival. I like walking because it is slow. And I suspect that the mind, like the feet, works at about three miles an hour. If this is so, then modern life is moving faster and the speed of thought, or thoughtfulness. Modern life is moving faster than the speed of thought, or thoughtfulness. Walking is about being outside, in public space, and public space is also being abandoned and eroded in older cities, 
eclipsed by technologies and services that don't require leaving home and shadowed by fear in many places and strange places are always more frightening than known ones so the less one wanders the city the more alarming it seems while the fewer the wanderers the more lonely and dangerous it really becomes let me see if I can read that again walking is about being outside in public space and public space is also being abandoned and eroded in older cities. Eclipsed by technologies and services that don't require leaving home. And shadowed by fear in many places. And strange places are always more frightening than known ones. So the less one wanders the city, the more alarming it seems. While the fewer the wanderers, the more lonely and dangerous it really becomes. Meanwhile, in many new places, public space isn't even in the design. What was once public space is designed to accommodate the privacy of automobiles, malls replacing high main streets, streets of no sidewalks. Buildings are entered through their garages. City halls have no plazas. And everything has walls, bars, gates. Fear has created a whole style of architecture and urban design, notably in Southern California, where some good friends of mine live, where to be a pedestrian is to be under suspicion in many of the subdivisions and gated communities. Let me take a break for a second. I was walking around the estate here, which is not gated, shortly after midnight, not very long ago. And in effect, somebody approached me as if I was behaving suspiciously. I had a dog with me. That might be what the author is talking about. As the same, at the same time, rural land and the once inviting peripheries of towns are being swallowed up in car consumer subdivisions and otherwise sequestered. In some places, it is no longer possible to be out in public. In some places, it is no longer possible to be out in public. A crisis both for the private epiphanies of the solitary stroller and for public spaces, democratic functions. It was this fragmentation of lives and landscapes that we were resisting long ago in the expansive spaces of the desert that temporarily became as public as a plaza. And when public space disappears, as does the body, so does the body, as... In Sono's fine term, adequate for getting around. Oh, I better read that again. And when public space disappears, so does the body, as in Sono's fine term, adequate for getting around. Sono and I spoke of the discovery that our neighborhoods, which are some of the most feared places in the Bay Area, aren't all that hostile although they aren't safe enough to let us forget about safety altogether. 
I have been threatened and mugged on the street long ago. But I have a thousand times more often encountered friends passing by. I sought for books in a store window, compliments and greetings from my loquacious neighbours, architectural delights, posters for music and ironic political commentary on walls and telephone poles, fortune tellers, the moon coming up between buildings, glimpses of other lives and other homes and street trees noisy with songbirds. The ransom, the unscreened, Allows you. No, start again. Oh, bad reading. The random, the unscreened, allows you to find what you don't know you are looking for. And you don't know a place until it surprises you. Oh, I love that. And you don't know a place until it surprises you. Walking is one way of maintaining a bulwark against this erosion of the mind, the body, the landscape and the city, and every walker is a guard on patrol to protect the ineffable. Do you know, I'm beginning to see that this first chapter is a kind of overarching statement by the author of their, how they see the landscape Afterwards, I think she's going to go and fill in details, but you get a sense of where she's going to, don't you? Perhaps a third of the way down the road that wandered to the beach, an orange net was spread. It looked like a tennis net, but when I reached it, I saw that it fenced off a huge new gap in the road. The road has been crumbling since I began to walk on it a decade ago. It used to roll uninterruptedly from sea to ridge top. Along the coastal reach of the road, a little bice appeared in 1989 that one could edge around. Then a little trail detoured round the growing gap. With every winter's rain, more and more red earth and road surface crumbled away, sliding into a heap at the ruinous bottom of the steep slope the road had once cut across. It was an astonishing sight at first, this road that dropped off into thin air, for one expects roads and paths to be continuous. Every year more of it has fallen, and I have walked this route so often that every part of it springs associations on me. I remember all the phases of the collapse and how different a person I was when the road was complete. I remember explaining to a friend on this route almost three years earlier why I liked walking the same way over and over. I joked in a bad adaptation of Heraclitus's famous dictum about rivers that you never step on the same trail twice and soon afterward we came across the new staircase that cut down the steep hillside, built far enough inland that the erosion wouldn't reach it for many years to come. If there is a history of walking, then it too has come to a place where the road falls off, a place where there is no public space,
and the landscape is being paved over where leisure is shrinking and being crushed under the anxiety to produce. Bodies are not in the world, but only indoors in cars and buildings. And an apotheosis of speed makes those bodies seem <laughs> anachronistic or feeble. In this context, walking is a subversive detour. The scenic route through a half-abandoned landscape of ideas and experiences. Walking is a subversive detour, the scenic route through a half-abandoned landscape of ideas and experiences. I had to circumnavigate this new chunk bitten out of the actual landscape by going to a new detour on the right. There's always a moment on this circuit when the heat of climbing and the white and the wind block the hills provide give way to the descent into ocean air. And this time it came at the staircase past the scree, fresh cut into the green serpentine stone of the hill. From there it wasn't far to the switchback leading to the other half of the road, which winds closer and closer to the cliffs over the ocean, where waves shatter into white foam over the dark rocks with an audible roar. Soon I was at the beach, where surfers sleek as seals in their black wetsuits were catching the point break at the northern edge of the cove. Dogs chased sticks, people lolled on blankets, and the waves crashed, and then sprawled into a shallow rush uphill to lap at the feet of those of us walking on the hard sand of high tide. Only the final stretch remained, up over a sandy crest and along the length of the murky lagoon full of water birds. It was the snake that came as a surprise. A garter snake, so called because of the yellowish stripes running the length of its dark body. A snake, tiny and enchanting as it writhed like waving water across the path and into the grasses on one side. It didn't alarm me so much as alert me. Suddenly I came out of my thoughts to notice everything around me again catkins on the willows, the lapping of the water, the leafy patterns of the shadows across the path, and then myself, walking with the alignment that only comes after miles, the loose diagonal rhythm of arms swinging in synchronization with legs in a body that felt long and stretched out, almost as sinuous as the snake. My circuit was almost finished, and at the end of it I knew what my subject was and how to address it in a way I had not six miles before. It had come to me not in a sudden epiphany, but with a gradual sureness, a sense of meaning, like a sense of place. Oh, I love that. A sense of meaning, like a sense of place. When you give yourself to places, they give you, you, yourself back 
The more one comes to know them, the more one seeds them with the invisible crop of memories and associations that will be waiting for you when you come back, while new places offer up new thoughts, new possibilities. When you give yourself to places, they give you yourself back. The more one comes to know them, the more one seeds them with the invisible crop of memories and associations that will be waiting for you when you come back, while new places offer up new thoughts, new possibilities. And the last sentence in the first chapter, exploring the world is one of the best ways of exploring the mind, and walking travels both terrains. So there... Page 13, end of chapter 1, Wanderlust, A History of Walking, to be continued.